Welcome to State Lobbying Heroes Podcast, a podcast where we delve into the careers and personal life stories of some of the best and the brightest state government relations experts. I'm your host, Deepak, CEO of Legistracker. Jillian Totman grew up on the East Coast of North Carolina. She was very active in student government and thoroughly enjoyed advocating for fellow classmates. Jillian started her degree in accounting, but then her interest in politics eventually made her switch to political science. She then went on to study law to learn the intricacies of regulations, advocacy, political research, and the role of mentorship. We talk all about it in this next episode with Jillian Totman. Hi, Jillian. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. The way I'm doing this interviews is I'm, I'm trying to get a deeper insight as to how you got into lobbying. And um, we can start all the way from the beginning. So can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Where did you grow up? Sure. So I grew up on the East Coast of North Carolina and was always very active in student government, not necessarily politics. So I was student council and all of, all of that and very much enjoyed the aspect. Of course, I didn't realize that at the time. But looking back, it was I really enjoyed the aspect of advocating and giving a voice to my fellow classmates that didn't necessarily have one. Um, But I didn't really have an interest in politics. I wasn't involved in any campaigns. I wasn't involved in the the teenage affiliation with either party. Um, I just did my schoolwork and was really tied into, again, just serving and leading my student, my peers. So can you, for, I didn't grow up here, so can you just give us an idea? What does a student council consist of and how do you get into it? Sure. So pretty much every school in in North Carolina, and I assume it's like this in other states, has a program where the students elect one of their peers to be the president of the student body or the president of their class. Or like when I was a freshman in high school, they called us freshman representatives maybe, where we got to serve on the council, but we had maybe a little less power than the the higher upper class. And what those students did, a lot of it was event planning, dances, fundraisers, different things like that. But then some of it was interacting with our teachers and our school administrators. So I learned from a very early age how to present myself in certain situations. It's really interesting because even now, people that I meet and associate with, they typically see me in a business suit or some some formal attire, a dress or heels or something. But at home, I'm barefoot half the time, if not 100% of the time. I'm in t-shirt and gym shorts. And prefer to be that way, to be honest. But I say that to say I was learning skills on presentation and how to present myself in a way that got people to listen to me. So whether it was my peers or whether it was a school administrator or a teacher, I learned and looking back, this was not the point, but I learned through student government how to mirror and mimic what was being presented to me. And this was not in a way of manipulation or anything like that. It's 
when you have communication, you have two ends. You have like a, um, a valley and you've got two sides of the valley and, and you have to form a bridge across that valley in order for, you can talk to somebody all day long, but until you can get that bridge built, neither side is going to be able to truly understand what the other side is saying or be open to hearing what the other side is saying. Back then, I had no desire to do anything in politics. I had heard what everybody else had heard about lobbyists, seen how they had been portrayed on movies and fictionalized stories, and it just wasn't something that I thought would interest me. So I was picking up these skills, not purposefully to go into lobbying, but just because of the nature of the work that I was doing with student government and the interactions that I had with students of all kinds, all races, all grade levels, all different backgrounds and experiences on top of the interactions I was having with adults. So that, that's really, I think, without realizing what piqued my interest in advocating for clients. That, that is really interesting because people kind of go in different paths, but eventually all of the experience actually surmounts to something where, you know, it eventually leads to one point where you, you know, when you look back, you won't even realize that that's actually causing that, all of that. So that's a good key insight. So after high school, you joined North Carolina State University, am I right? That's correct. Okay. And that was in political science, was it? it so I actually joined in accounting. I spent oh. my first two years as an accounting major, took business classes and accounting classes, and just was not driven. I'm a very passionate person, which again, I think where the advocacy comes from. And numbers for the pure sake of numbers just didn't, it didn't really give me anything to get up in the morning and put my shoes on for. So I took a job with the North Carolina Republican Party as their accounting assistant. I was still an accounting major. I was still planning to go through accounting. I was uh, you know, trudging my way through. And so I was there working and I did campaign finance and um, their accounting daily bookkeeping and things like that. So I'm gonna pause you there. How did you get that position? Was it an intern position? It, it was uh, an intern position, but it, it was a paid internship. And I got it because I had become interested in political science. So I was taking an intro political science class. Okay. And a classmate of mine, he was currently working in the political aspect of, as an intern in, at the political party. And, ha and he and I had gotten to talking and he had enjoyed the debate that he and I had had in class over certain politics and things and suggested that if I wanted to marry accounting and politics and get kind of exposed, I could apply for this accounting assistant position. So I did. And I spent a year there, maybe a semester, and uh, realized that I fell in love with politics. Now, at first, I went in, I kept my head down, I went in my cubicle, I put my earbuds in, and I did all of the boring math stuff, and then I just left. But then one day, my the chief of staff at the time had a political research project that they needed, and everybody was crazy busy at this point. And so he looked at me and said, look, I know you're in accounting. I just need this project done really quick. Can you, can you do it for me? Sure. So I did this and it was a very detail oriented research project. And so I got to dive in deep into the analytical side of politics. And then I got to present 
to the leadership at the Republican Party, the chief of staff, the political director, the communications director. And I loved it. I just fell head over heels and was fascinated with, funny enough, all of the analytical and behind the scenes stuff that went into what you and I see on TV today. I've never been interested in the stuff that we see on TV today. I've never been interested in the glad handing and the, I love to be the kind of person that is making the trains run, but doesn't get any of the glory. That's fine. So he liked it enough that he offered me a dual internship. So I continued as the accounting assistant, but then increased my hours and added on political. So like you said, so what's shown on TV probably is a different perspective and it's probably opinionated, right? So what is go, goes really behind the scenes? Can you just give us an idea as to why you were passionate about it? Well, I'll give you an example. So I went to a NASCAR race one time. I don't know if anybody listening to the podcast are, are NASCAR fans, but most people see it as a boring, cars are just going around in a circle, pointless activity. But when you really get to know what's behind NASCAR, you realize there's a lot more strategy and a lot more planning and a lot more training than meets the eye. And I love that. It's almost like the duck on the water that looks calm, but underneath their feet are just going crazy. So when I went to this NASCAR race, this is going to be an, an analogy or an allegory. I don't know, one of the two. I got a headset where you used to, I don't know if you can still do this, but you used to be able to listen in on the drivers talking to their pit crew. And you got to hear about, should I pit now? Should I wait three laps? The time it takes to pit versus you know, it actually cuts a little bit of the track off. So weighing how fast are you going versus the length of the track versus how long is it going to take us to fix whatever problem I have, rain delays. I mean, like the whole deal, because during rain delays, for an example, you can't pass a car. You have to stay behind. So there's all this strategy and all these chess moves involved that when you look at it, you don't see. So when you look at politics, you see a bunch of people arguing and yelling and screaming. But what you don't see is all of the research, all of the listening, all of the advocacy that goes on behind the scenes to make law happen. And, and those are just, you know, I, I don't want to give necessarily specific examples, but when a bill comes forward, there are months and months of advocacy, negotiating, and listening that happens. You have to get stakeholders, like we talked about making that bridge. If you're trying to enact a piece of legislation that affects two other industries, Say you're a pool owner and you're trying to enact legislation dealing with changing the chemicals that get put in your pool. Well, you're going to affect the companies that create that chemical. You're also affecting the people that swim in these pools. So you pull stakeholders together and you explain your problem and you truly try to come together for a solution. A good lobbyist will do that before they take something to a legislator. And then that way they can say, we have a consensus. Now let's work on getting all of your colleagues on board while staying in touch with your stakeholders. And so all of that are the feet under the water, if you're a duck, that nobody sees that people don't. People just think there's a phone call made and a law pops up on the book. Or that argument that that politician is having on an interview with Fox News anchor, that argument is something that has probably been addressed in some stakeholder meeting that that legislator has had with his constituents. It's probably something that he's already addressed or talked through. Or if he hasn't, and it's something new, 
it's something he will. So going back to your career, so after that, what made you interested in law? Mm -hmm. So I stayed um, in politics for the next several years. And I did the political side of things. Never once did lobbying even come up. I actually went to law school to practice law. I was going to be a lawyer. I wasn't going to do politics anymore. I didn't want to be a political consultant. I didn't want to, to do, it just was not the, politics is 24 hours, seven days a week. And it's, it's exhausting. So um, I was going to go to law, which is still strenuous, but 24 hour news cycle is brutal in politics. So I went to law school and graduated with the full intention of practicing law. Unfortunately, I graduated during the economic downturn and it was tough finding a job for the, for the top people in the law school class all the way down to, to the, you know, everybody. And so I got a call from the Romney presidential campaign. An old colleague of mine was running their, some was, was working on their digital shop and um, he was not running it. He, he was a part of the team. And we talked and asked if I knew of anybody that might be interested in a job. And it was around the time that I was graduating and I decided it was something that I wanted to throw my name in the ring for. So I applied and I got back into politics. It was always a short-term thing for me. I was going to go up there, work on the campaign for six months, and then come back to North Carolina, whether he won or lost. Every Typically on campaigns, there may be, after you get that experience, people will typically go to DC and look for jobs or things. I had never had any, it was, I was always going to come back to North Carolina and practice law. And so, so I did that. And when I came back, I uh, was job hunting. And one of the firms that I was interviewing with saw that I had a background in politics and they were looking for a replacement lobbyist because they had just lost their lobbyist. And they said, do you want to lobby? And I said, no, no, thank you. No, not really what I'm looking to do. I don't think I'd be good at it. No, it's not, not really. My. And they said, really? Because, oh, I think you could be, but I'd never thought about it. So I called a few of my friends in politics and a couple of which had made the jump over to lobbying and talked through and decided I'd give it a shot. But I went in with the, with the explanation. I'm only doing this short term. I'm not going to do this long term. I will do the short term until you find a full time replacement. And then I, you know, I just want to be transitioned to law. And then I loved it. It's so funny how both of my careers started out as a short term or something different. And then when I, I just fell in love with what I was doing. Um, but I did. I fell in love with lobbying. And, and for me, it was that same feeling that I had on student government. I could connect with somebody and create that bridge to allow the communication to not fall on deaf ears. I could speak with people in different ways and in different manners and create trust. I consider myself an incredibly trustworthy person. And um, if I don't know something, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend like I know or make something up. So people learned very quickly that they could trust what I said and I would follow up. So if I didn't know something, I would write the question down and follow up later with an answer. And so I think that coupled with with my other abilities that I learned in high school, I, I really just enjoyed it. I was very fortunate to learn the lobbying profession under an incredible mentor named Tom West, who is now the general counsel and uh, lobbyist for the independent colleges and universities. Spectacular gentleman, just full of class. One of the best, if not the best lawyers I've met and just was an incredible mentor. And he, I have to, I owe this term 
to, to, to Tom. And I can't remember if he said it or if it just kind of happened in a meeting we were having. But I started saying when I was working for him, when clients asked what we did, I said, we educate and we advocate. And that's exactly what a good lobbyist does. They educate and they advocate because it's, legislators can't know everything. And like we were talking about with stakeholders, you have to explain, the pool owner has to explain to the person who's coming to swim at the pool why they're requesting these changes so they can understand. And so it's all about education and then advocacy where you are really looking out zealously for your client. And as a lawyer, that's what you do. You educate and you advocate just in a different way. And so anyway, so I fell in love with it and um, decided that I wanted, instead of practicing law mostly, I wanted to be in government relations mostly and got a job offer to spend the majority of my time lobbying. And that's when I ended up at McGuire Woods. And then after that, I, I learned some, again, hat was fortunate to have an incredible mentor in Harry Kaplan, who has just been doing this for a long time. And there are not a lot of lobbyists that can stick around for a long time. And he's one of them because he is sincere. He's honest. He's passionate um, and, and probably the hardest working man I've ever met. And then also under Franklin Freeman, who literally he is just, he embodies the word class and Southern gentleman. And, um, and again, one of the smartest attorneys that I've, that I've ever met. So I was fortunate to be under him. Johnny Tillett, one of the other founding members of McGuire Woods Consulting, just everybody at McGuire Woods was very fortunate to have such such a spectacular team. And, and then from there, I found my passion in health and human services and justice and public safety. And so I got an opportunity from a CEO of a nonprofit who had been working for a client of mine who knew my work and asked me to come in-house and kind of advise them on a whole bunch of reform that was happening in North Carolina. And I did that for a year and a half and loved being in-house and not having to keep billable hours and advocate and really dive in. I love diving in deep. I got to dive in deep into health and human services, which was it, it's something that I have discovered I am very passionate about. So and then took some time off when I had my baby girl and spent some time at home with her and my um, older son privileged to be able to do that and very fortunate and grateful for that time at home. And now here I am practicing law and um, helping clients and educating and advocating uh, again. So two things which stood out for me from the entire career which you have just exposed. So the number one, what would you suggest, like let's say if there is someone listening and who is going to the law school, what would you suggest they should do in order to get a better handle over lobbying while they're actually in the school? So first, my advice to any law student is keep an open mind. And this is, this is, this is going to lead into to your actual question, but I think a lot of people go to law school very closed-minded about how they're going to earn a living after graduation. And what I have found through myself and my peers is there are a lot of options for attorneys, government relations being one of them. You do not, now, anybody who's interested in government relations now, who is an undergrad, you do not have to go to law school. You will make 
the same, uh, you can make the same, can make the same as your peer who may have a law degree without one. One of my best friends and another incredible mentor of mine is not an attorney and is one of the best, or used to be, he's retired now, but was one of the best lobbyists down at General Assembly. He doesn't have a law degree. So do not go to law school just to lobby. I, I cannot scream that enough. Law school is expensive and hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but then for lawyers, for lawyers and undergrads who are interested in lobbying, what you can do today, go to the NC General Assembly website. The NC General Assembly website has a plethora of information. It has committees that you can listen in on. It has bill numbers, summaries, and documents that you can look through and read through. You can familiarize yourself with how to write law. Now, that is one thing that lawyers do have a leg up on, on people that don't, um, that don't, haven't gone to law school because they understand legal writing and they know how to right? So look at that. Be able to speak the same language. And there are, when you are working on legislation, sometimes you get put in touch with the staff that write the legislation. And so it it enables you to have a, a higher level conversation with them. And then also sometimes being able to, whether it's final form or not, take an already written proposed law or proposed change to a legislator starts the conversation because it's one less thing the legislature legislator has to do. So if you bring them something in writing, it is easier for them to manipulate than trying to come up with it on their own. And they will appreciate it more if it is written correctly rather than just lay written like a layperson, which you can certainly do. And they certainly will absolutely appreciate it. I should say the people that will appreciate it more are the bill drafters and the staff. Talked a lot about working with legislators. It's just as important to talk to the staff and to respect the staff as you would respect one of the members because they are working hard as well and and for you. So um, so I just I just want to say that too. So yeah, so familiarize yourself with the language, start paying attention. There is, you will see there is a certain language and format and familiarity familiarity with committee meetings and how they're run. And so having that knowledge before you walk into a lobbying job on day one is going to give you an advantage to somebody who is like, wait, what are they talking about? Wait, why can't, why was so-and-so not recognized? What, what does he mean he's out of order? Like, so listen to the meetings, get familiarized with the language, like when somebody is called out of order, when a motion is called out of order, when um, there are time limits put on things. Yeah, so that, that is a huge, huge help. Now the role of a mentor. You did mention at least three or four people who kind of helped you in shaping up who you are today. So how would one go about finding a mentor? So I think there are a couple different ways. I have been fortunate that the majority of my mentors have been my supervisors. And that's not always for that's not always possible. So I would say start by trying to find when you're job interviewing, you're not only interviewing with the company, but you're inter if you have the ability to speak with the person that would be supervising you, do it. Because you'll very quickly see if you have an if you have a good conversation 
whether or not they're going to be able to be that mentor for you. And you can even ask questions like, how do you work with you, the people you supervise? What do you look for in someone that you supervise? And those two questions will help you to understand, okay, can that person be a mentor for me? I know colleagues that have worked with supervisors that don't want a mentor, which is great and fine. I was fortunate that the very, in fact, all of my bosses, going back to my very first job out of undergrad at the Republican Party, I worked for a man named Chris McClure, and he understood very well the importance. He had mentors and understood very well the importance of being a mentor. And actually before that, a man named Bill Peasley, when I was an intern, he has continued to be a mentor for me. He's an attorney as well. And he has continued. Somebody, I actually just called him last week with a question like, I'm about to embark on this new adventure. What, what, what advice do you have for me? So I would say, it's your job interview. And then if your supervisor is not going to be that person for you, talk to in an appropriate way and in a respectful way, find time to talk to whether it's after hours or come in early, other peers that are in positions superior to yours. And just through those conversations, you'll find one that clicked. Franklin Freeman was not my supervisor at McGuire Woods, but through conversations and work that we did together, I realized very quickly that he was open to me asking questions. And so I did a lot. And I just asked advice. So I think I used to, to think sticking around, I'm not saying you have to stay until seven o'clock or nine o'clock every night that you're at a job. But when you first start, it doesn't hurt because it gives you the ability to get to know your peers and then those people that are above you in the hierarchy chain and find that mentor. So now you are a managing partner at Totman, Totman Law Office. What kind of projects do you primarily work on? And what kind of industries do you work with? So Totman Law works with business law, mergers and acquisitions, uh, estate planning, commercial real estate. We're also going to be adding administrative law and government relations with my joining. And mainly anything and everything that you can think about for owning a business. What we like to do is serve as a company's outside in-house counsel. So not every business needs a person sitting in the office for 40, 60, 70 hours a week, completely devoted to legal matters. But every business is going to have legal issues that arise. So by having an outside in-house counsel, you have somebody that you can call that know, again, the same relationship that we talk about before that I loved about being in-house at um, that nonprofit. It's somebody who knows your language, knows your business, knows you, and has an ongoing relationship and can help quarterback any legal needs, majority of which can can most likely be done by that by us. And then when specialists are needed, we can serve as the conduit or as the bridge between the specialist and your business and talk that language and manage the matter 
and not take up so that the COO who's trying to make sure the widgets get produced is not pulled away unnecessarily. We, of course, involve whatever individuals we need to handle the legal matters, but we're playing quarterback and pulling in. We're really playing coach. We're not even playing quarterback. We're pulling in the players when they need to be pulled in and setting the playbook. So really, it's less of a quarterback and more of a coach. And do you work with any specific industries or are you guys are open to any kind of? We are open to anything and we have a wide array of businesses that we work with. We do a lot in the healthcare industry, medical practice, uh, sales and acquisitions, and certainly are well-versed in. There are very specific and niche, again, terminology and legal issues that arise within the healthcare industry, dealing with HIPAA regulations and protected health information and all of the um, nuanced things that, that, that healthcare has to deal with, and, and especially during uncertain times. So we, we do do a lot of work with, with the healthcare industry. So before I ask you what in the future for you, can you tell us, like, let's say with all the experience you had, if you had to give two pieces of advice to an upcoming lobbyist, what would it be? That is tough. The number one, no, this is easy. The number one thing I would say to an up-and-coming lobbyist is respect everybody. Whether it is the gatekeeper sitting at the desk, which is the administrative assistant for the for the legislator, your client, of course, the legislators and elected officials, staff members, everybody that you come into contact with and just have respect and don't be pushy and also have respect for your colleague. You can certainly be aggressive without being rude or too too aggressive. You can certainly be persistent without without being aggressive. So I would definitely say respect everybody, colleagues, legislators, staff. And then the second piece of advice would be always do what you think is right. It would always be if something doesn't seem right to you, step back and have faith in your intuition. And that goes for anything. That goes for this guy said that he's behind us, but something's telling me he's not. Follow up. Find out if they have more questions. Find out if something's come up. And then it would also be if just just dealing with with people just trusting your instinct and and always being kind and respectful. Those would be the two things. Follow your instinct and just be kind. I mean, it, that just needs to be on a t-shirt. Just be kind. There you go. That's amazing advice. So looking towards the future, where do you see yourself? How do you think the North Carolina politics shaping up? Ooh, I wish I had a crystal ball. I don't know. I can genuinely say, I wish I could sit here and, and pretend to, again, I told you one of the, my things, I, I will tell you, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. Right now, I'm just watching and paying attention because I think that there are a lot of uncertain times ahead of us, a lot of factors that are coming in that were not, that were never anticipated by anybody. And so I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. I think that 2020 is going to be a, a year for the history books, and I hope in a good way. But um, I hope we can all come together. And at the end of it, North Carolina, well, North Carolina is going to come out on top. I think that every single person that is working on things for North Carolina right now has North Carolinians' best interest in their heart. So 
I have faith and I have optimism that North Carolina is going to come out okay, but it's really tough right now. And so people need to stay diligent and need to continue educating and advocating on whatever their position and their issue is. And as long as people continue to educate and advocate others, I think we'll be okay. That's awesome. Final thought, the floor is open to you. You can talk anything about yourself or Tottenham Law Office, anything you want to say. Sure. One more thing that I would say to law students that have an interest in government relations that maybe already at a clerkship or uh, an, an intern, more, more likely an internship at a law firm. Sometimes I think lawyers get bogged down in being reactive, which is what we are in the law. You have an issue, let's fix it. You have this lawsuit filed against you, let's respond. Or you had something bad happen to you, let's file a lawsuit or send a demand letter or communication or something. But it's always reactionary. What lobbying and what legislative and, and government relations does is it allows the client to be proactive. So it allows the client to say, we haven't had an issue yet, but the way the law is written, we could. So before we have an issue arise, let's educate legislators and executive members and who stakeholders why and how this issue can arise and figure out how to how to mitigate it before something happens, which doesn't always mean, and, and client, I think sometimes it's hard to explain to a client, you're not, you want the moon. Can you live with, or you want, or you want the sun. Can you live with the moon? And so it's just figuring, it's being proactive and working with others and not being reactionary. And I think that's where the value of government relations comes in. So you don't have expensive and lengthy lawsuits. Fix it before it happens or make it better. I mean, for, for those in criminal justice, may, there, there are plenty of things that have arisen over the years that have improved that the court system and the criminal justice system and justice and public safety and health and human services and name anything. Technology, I mean, that is something that can be headed off before issues arise or to make life easier for a business. Businesses think, of course you have to abide by the laws, but is there something that would make it better for you that we could change? Instead of, oh, I just have to live this way. And you don't, not necessarily. So I just encourage law students to think proactively instead of reactionary. That's great advice. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me and walk us through your really profound experience and share the role of a mentor. I think that was really insightful. Uh, thank you so much again, Jillian, uh, and, and hopefully we'll meet sometime soon. Thank you so much. It was fun to learn about Jillian's experiences. Hope you did too. Please drop in a comment about the episode or how I can improve these conversations. Thank you for joining me in another episode of State Lobbying Heroes Podcast. Take care until next time.